today we're going to get into Judges chapter 6. And um, have you, has anyone, I was thinking about this, like has, has anyone ever been bullied before in your life? Like have you ever been teased, picked on, but just me? That's just me? That's just uh, me? Anybody else? Yeah, I see that hand. Um, you ever been like just, like maybe it was in, at work, maybe it was in school when you were a kid, um, maybe it's in your family, you had like an older brother or an older sister who bullied you, picked on you, um, teased you incessantly. Um, maybe for, for some of you, if you're, you're younger, especially right now, maybe you've been bullied online. Uh, you know, you've had people that have just kind of like just teased you and said it, you know, really hurtful things. Um, a bully is someone who seeks to harm or to intimidate those they perceive as vulnerable. Um, if you think about bullying, if you've ever been bullied, or maybe chances are you have bullied other people, um, knowingly or unknowingly, um, there's always a real or perceived power imbalance when it comes to bullying. Whether it's real or perceived, there's always this sense of like, this person's vulnerable and I'm in a place of power over them. And so bullies use things like physical strength um, or maybe, in, especially in this day and age, access to embarrassing information about you, to uh, steal your lunch, to kill your confidence, and to destroy your joy. Um, and today I want to talk about a bully that every single one of us is facing, whether we realize it or not. And we find it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. This is what Peter writes to the church. He says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the point is this, you may think that your enemy is a person, but Peter is warning us, the fight that you think that you're in is not the fight that you're in. He's like, you may think that it's, it's, it's this person, it's your ex-wife, it's this, it's this ex-friend, it's this person at work, it's, that's the person who is my enemy. But Peter reminds every single one of us, he's like, your great enemy, your greatest enemy, your biggest bully, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and, and he would love to have us all polarized, thinking that our brothers and sisters in Christ are our enemies, or that Democrats or Republicans are our enemies, or that every uh, people. Check, check. Oh, I'm back. I'm back. Uh, I'd like to think that the people are our enemy, but the reality is, is that. The fight that you think that you're in is not the fight that you're in. That you and I are in a struggle with a spiritual bully who comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And some of the time he uses people. But most of the time, in fact, I would say all the time, he uses things that the Bible calls strongholds. Um, so if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we read, the, read God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish 
strongholds. That's that word, to demolish strongholds. Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Lord, I I pray that today uh, you would just reveal strongholds in our life, things that get in the way of uh, of the truth that of who you say that we are and your truth over our lives. I pray that you would reveal them and that they would be demolished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, if, if our great enemy, like Peter said, this bully, like Paul talks about, our greatest bully uses things that we call strongholds. What in the world is a stronghold? Um, let me just kind of give you like, like there's a lot of different, different definitions of what a stronghold is, but the way I, I like to say it is this, like it's a way of thinking that has such a strong hold on you that you cannot see life beyond where you are. So it's like, actually the definition has the words in it, right? It's, it's a way of thinking that has such a strong hold over you that you cannot see life beyond where you are. Um, and isn't that how bullies work, right? They kind of work in fear and they paralyze you and they intimidate you and overwhelm you. And so um, strongholds can look like a whole lot of different things in our life. Sometimes they look like, like lies that we are convinced about ourselves and they distort our identity. Sometimes they look like, uh, like pain that we've experienced that cause us to kind of run to coping mechanisms kind of get away from the pain, and then they turn into things like addiction and dysfunction. Sometimes, um, sometimes they can look a whole lot like unforgiveness that builds up walls in our life to protect us, but then they end up isolating us as well. And so these strongholds kind of like take hold and have such a strong hold over our lives. And, and maybe in, in the beginning, they, they meant to, to kind of get away from pain, get away from hurt, get away from, um, from things that people have done to us. But then they become to have such a strong hold of us that we can't see life outside of them. And so many times, um, the great bully of our lives causes even Christians to live, end up living functionally dysfunctional. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like a functional, dysfunctional person. Like, you, yes, you're, you're saved, you're, but you're not walking in your freedom. Like, you're, yes, I'm, I'm going to church, and yes, Jesus has saved me, and yes, but like there's still these broken parts in me. There's still these like chinks. There's still these areas that I'm, I'm actually living kind of more like a functional atheist, like a practical atheist in my life. Like, I believe that Jesus has done this and he can do anything here. But then there's these areas of my life where I I really doubt and I really don't have faith. And I really think very fatalistic about things that like, it's always going to be this way. It's never going to get any better. And there's no way that that God can ever work in here. And it's nothing's ever going to change. Always going to stay the same. And so we end up not walking in freedom and we end up tolerating whatever we consider normal, which is so true. And sometimes what we consider normal is actually dysfunctional because of the things that we've grown up in, the things that we've assumed, the ways of thinking that have just maybe even been generational after generation after generational that we've just assumed is normal and we end up tolerating whatever we think is normal. And sometimes God kind of shines a light on areas of our life of dysfunction that we think is normal. And he's like, I want to bring healing into that. 
And I want to bring, I want to identify the stronghold because this thing that you think is so normal is actually abnormal compared to God's normal. And I'm here to say to you this, that Paul is saying to us, Peter is saying to us, I would say to us, we need to stop tolerating bullying. We're so, we're so concerned about our kids getting bullied in schools, and yet we're getting bullied by our great enemy stealing our lunch every day. And essentially, I, I want to say to you this, your enemy is not as big as you think that he is. That's how bullies are. They're really just cowards that mask themselves with strength. You have a defeated foe, a sore loser. Stand up to him and tell him, do you know who my dad is? Right? Do you, <laughs> I'm sorry, you, you might be able to beat me up. You might be able to take my lunch. I just want you to know, do you know how big my daddy is? Because he's going to take you out, right? So stand up to the bullies. Turn with me to Judges chapter 6. We're going to get kind of hunkered down in Judges 6 today. If you've got your Bibles, Judges 6, let me give a little background before I read a little bit for you. Um, for seven years, in Judges 6, for seven years, the Israelites had been bullied by these people called the, the Midianites. Seven years, just bullied. The Israelites would plant their crops, and the Midianites would come in right around harvest time, and they would steal their lunch. They would come in, they would pillage their crops, take whatever they wanted, and then head on out. They were like, thank you very much for growing this. And then they would take it home with them. So the Israelites were free people. But because of the bullies that were living around them, they were kind of not living like free people. They were living like prisoners in their own land. Judges chapter 6, verse 11 it says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat down, down under the oak of Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abbe, hmm, Abiezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when, when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. So I want to take a look at some of these strongholds that like these bullies had in real life over Gideon. Right? This, this guy who's threshing wheat in the wine press. The first thing, if you're kind of like wondering if you have a stronghold, an area of your life where you're kind of like not necessarily believing for freedom in your life, one of, one of the signs is feeling overwhelmed and fearful. Feeling overwhelmed. And strongholds will, will come and feel like the struggle that is in front of you is overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever felt that before. Have you ever had so many things going on in your life or this thing that is in front of you that just feels absolutely overwhelming? There's no way it's ever going to get past this. No way I'm ever going to get through this. 
I want you to see how Gideon looks at his enemy. Verse 5, Judges 6, verse 5. He's, Gideon's describing his enemy. He's like, they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. He says it was, it was impossible to count them or their camels. In other words, he's describing his enemies like they're too big. There's too many of them. They're like locusts. They're everywhere. We can't even count their camels. He's like, one, two, three, three, they're moving. I literally can't count these things. Like he is just like, this is, he's absolutely overwhelmed at the bully that comes to steal his lunch every harvest season. And strongholds will cause you to view your, your bully bigger than he really is. Strongholds will make you feel paralyzed to be able to move forward, to be able to fight back. Why? Because he's too big. He's too strong. There's too many of them. I can't even count his camels, right? Like these bullies literally altered the way of life for the Israelites. They were free people, but they were living like prisoners. We see it in verse 2. It says, Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and catch that last word, I think that's funny, and strongholds, verse 2. They were literally making up their house in a stronghold. Isn't that interesting? That the, the, the stronghold of these bullies had such a strong hold on them that they're actually now making their homes in strongholds. Now, a stronghold can have such a strong hold over your life that you choose to live in a stronghold because it feels safer than freedom. And this is true in so many areas of our lives. When we, the things that we run to for protection can many times end up imprisoning us in the process. We run to that for safety. Why? Because we're trying to avoid pain. We're trying to avoid abuse. We're trying to avoid hurt. And we run to these things. And those strongholds actually become imprisoning to us in the process of it. And the thing about, the thing about Gideon, he's not just like overwhelmed. He's not just fearful. Like he, he, is, he is utterly afraid. The Bible says that he is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I don't expect any of you to know how to thresh wheat or to press wine. Um, if you do, then you're probably 99% smarter than me. But here's the reality. This is, what, this is what you do. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, which you're supposed to thresh wheat up on kind of a, on a hill, and you throw the wheat up in the air. The wind comes over, and it blows the, uh, the chaff, and so you literally have the wheat there, and the chaff gets thrown away. So it kind of separates it. The wind separates it. But he's so scared that he's down in a wine press, and he doesn't want the Midians to see it, because if he goes up on the hill and he starts throwing the wheat, they're going to be like, lunch! Free lunch! Look! And he's down there. He's just like, oh, maybe they won't see me. Maybe they won't see. He's in a wine press down low trying to separate wheat from chaff. And it's certainly not the way you're supposed to do it. And it's certainly a whole lot more difficult to try to do it like that. But he's, he's so fearful that the Midianites are going to come steal his lunch that he's just trying to do anything he can to survive. And he's completely altering his way of life because he's so afraid. And... Um, Gideon's so afraid that they're going to steal his lunch, he's like, he's like eating in the library all by himself. Another sign of, of the stronghold is this. 
forgetting what the Lord has done. Forgetting what the Lord has done. We become so overwhelmed. We become so fearful. We become so paralyzed. Remember when we were talking about the paper walls last week? There's these, there's these things in our life that, man, I, I, it's too big. It's, it's, too, it's too strong. It's, it's too wide. There's no way that I can ever get through this. And it's many times we just end up forgetting what the Lord has done because we're so overwhelmed of what is in front of us. And the Israelites are doing the exact same thing. They're crying out to God. And look at God's response to them. Look what he reminds them of in verse 7, Judges 6. It says, the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian. They're, they're freaking out. They're like, he's so big. There's so many of them. I can't even count their camels. And he goes, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Now hear this. He says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors, and I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. Don't forget, you're no longer slaves. I rescued you. I delivered you. I drove you out your bullies, and I gave you their land. Oh, 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 yeah, you did do that. How many times, like, when we have the thing that is in front of us, the paper wall that is just so big and so huge, and it's just been there for so long that it's never going to change, and it's always going to be the same, and it's never going to be different. And God says, um, you have very short-term memory. Do you remember what I've done in your life? Oh, yeah, you did that before. I think that God's response to us in the midst of our stronghold is to remind us who he is and what he's done. Because he knows that we tend to forget. Which is why we have things like these stones of remembrance, right? Like, that we can hold on to to say like, I know that this bully looks like he will take me down, but God. Like, I remember I have these these stones of remembrance, where are yours? Are they in front of you? Do you keep them in front of you to remind you of the goodness of God even in the midst of trying times? That these are just literally testimonies of faith to spur on faith in the now because of what he has already done. Keep them before you. Another um, sign of a stronghold, last one is this, allowing open doors to compromise. See, God not only reminds them of who he is and what he's done, he also reminds them of areas where they compromised in their faith. And this is, this is where God points out strongholds in you, in me. This is where he points out strongholds in Gideon. That they, He's like, they have such a stronghold over, over you that literally you, we end up choosing to continue in areas of compromise and disobedience, and we choose not to walk in the ways of God. Judges chapter 6, verse 10. He continues and he says, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live. Then he says, but you have not listened to me. See, the Israelites were kind of playing both sides. And 
probably a whole lot like us, right? Like, I mean, we kind of like, we, we got our God thing. We, you know, we, we, we come to church, we, we check that off. But then, you know, Monday comes and we're doing our own thing. And we're kind of worshiping at the altar of our money and, and the different things that we own and our possessions or, 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 or approval of people on Instagram. And like, we, we kind, of, kind of playing both sides. Like, yeah, we want God's approval, but man, do I want other people's approval. I want God's approval, but man, I, I want to, to feel good in, in my own eyes. Of, of the things that I'm, that I'm able to accomplish. And so the Israelites are playing both sides. They're, they're essentially worshiping at the, at the altar of Baal and the, the, the pole of Asherah and the, and the God of the Amorites. But they're giving God, like the Yahweh, they're going to church, they're going to temple, and they're giving a shout out to Yahweh, right? Like, they're not, they're not, they're not, not worshiping God. They're just, it's a little idol worship. The problem is this, that God doesn't see things as like a little idol worship. He's not like, oh, I appreciate that. I mean, it's fine. You're just kind of, I don't know, you're worshiping other gods, but it's not that big of a deal. The Bible says in John 10, 10, that the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, thieves, bullies, don't come to your house for tea and crumpets. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. So, if there are areas in your life where you're leaving kind of a, a, a the cracked door of compromise open to the enemy, you're essentially giving the bully permission to enter. To say, come on in, steal my lunch money, take this. So, so how do you fight a bully? Watch how Gideon deals with, uh, how God deals with Gideon. He's out hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, and in verse 11, Look what happens. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. It's, it's interesting. It says, The angel of the Lord came. And you might remember last week we were talking about how Joshua had a visitation of the angel of the Lord, the, the commander of angel armies. And now here in Judges chapter 6, Gideon gets this visitation of this angel of the Lord. And I said last week, like in the Old Testament, when it says the angel of the Lord, most scholars believe that it's the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is like Jesus coming before Jesus came. He shows up and has these cameo appearances throughout the Old Testament of just showing up and speaking to God's people. Here's the good news. God doesn't let your stronghold keep him from coming to you. Gideon didn't come to God. He wasn't even looking for God. He was too busy hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. God came to Gideon. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God didn't allow my issues, my mess to not come to him, right? Like that he found me even in the midst of my mess. And this is, how, this is how he comes. Gideon's trying to hide. He's doing his own thing. And then the angel of the Lord shows up. In verse 12, it says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, look at what he calls him. This is, it's almost laughable. He's hiding. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, trying to keep a low profile. And the angel of the Lord shows up and probably scares the crap out of him. He's like, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He probably talked like that because that's how, I mean, I just think, he, you know, mighty warrior, right? You got to do something like that. And um, Gideon's hiding there like a coward from the bullies so that they don't take his lunch money. And the pre-incarnate Jesus shows up. And what does he call this, this coward hiding from bullies? He calls him mighty 
warrior. This guy looks nothing like a mighty warrior. He looks like a scared coward. And God shows up and just calls him, well, what he is not. The beauty of what God does is that he calls us beyond where we see ourselves. And I would encourage you this. Allow God's word to mine the gold out of your dirt. Allow God's word to mine the gold out of your dirt. God always sees you beyond where you see yourself. And I want you to understand this. When God looks at Gideon, when God looks at you and calls you mighty warrior, I don't know, warrior princess, I don't know what he would call you ladies. Like he would call, you know what I mean? He looks at you and he calls you and you're like, are you talking to me? Because I'm like running scared right now. I'm like hiding. I actually made my home in a stronghold. Why? Because my, it felt safer than walking in freedom. Like are you literally calling me a mighty warrior? This doesn't even make sense. I want you to understand something. That God, sometimes we think, well, God just sees potential in me, right? He just, he knows that I'm made of greatness, right? Like I've been, I've been watching some, you know, some TED Talks and I'm ready to just conquer the world because I watch TED Talks. And like, yeah, I got it, and God sees it. Finally, a little recognition, right? I want you to understand something. God doesn't see your potential. He sees his potential in you. He sees his potential when you are in him. And so when he speaks and prophesies life over you, when he speaks his word into you, when he speaks that which you aren't as though you were, he's not saying like, yeah, I just, I see so much raw potential in you. You're like a diamond in the rough. So glad I found you. He's like, no, when you're in me, I want you to understand you are more than a conqueror in Christ who is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Mighty warrior. And so when he speaks life into you, it's not because of anything that you have done, which is such good news. It's because of everything that he's putting inside of you that causes you to have the ability to stand tall, even though the junk of your past, that he well knows. He's like, I am with you. Notice he says that before he says, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And if we could get that down on the inside of us, so many of our strongholds would begin breaking. So many of our strongholds would, become, would, would just fall by the wayside when we realize that it is only in him. Do you know how big my daddy is? Look at bully. You could probably beat me up. You've been stealing my lunch money my whole life. I'm just telling you, my daddy's coming for you. I'm just telling you, I don't think you understand who my dad is. And when we start to stand in that, we realize that the strongholds, the, the bullies that we think are so big are just cowards, sore losers that are trying to intimidate you. Because here's the thing. If we really look at it, God is the worst picker of people. <laughs> look, at, look at your neighbor. Like, he's, he's kind of not doing well. Like, I mean, it's like, really? Like, you picked me? Like, I, I'm with you, mighty warrior. And you're like, uh, I think you got the wrong guy, right? Like, even when God calls you, you're kind of like, ah, uh, I think, is this really? 
I mean, take a look at, take a look at the people that, that God chose uh, to be his disciples, his very first disciples throughout the Bible. You've got a thief, some fishermen, a shady government worker, some mama's boys, a prostitute, and a former demon-possessed person. He's like, you're my people. Cream of the crop right here. You guys are all winners. Now, so many times God takes losers and makes them winners, right? He takes, like, I, I love how, how Paul writes this. I love this in the message paraphrase. Let me just speak this over you because um, what's well, better for, better for me to read this over you than for me to say it. He says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 in the message paraphrase. He says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. Not many influential, not many high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. It makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Can I just remind you? You don't barely have a horn to blow. <laughs> let alone have the audacity to blow it before God. That's the beauty. Do you know how big my dad is? Do you know how big your dad is? Hmm. God doesn't look at your potential. He looks at his potential in you when you are in him. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That's true for every single one of us. And Gideon kind of acts like you and I would in verse 13. He questions the Lord. He says, pardon me, Lord? Like, mighty warrior, excuse me? He says, if the Lord was with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And he asks again. He's like, pardon me, Lord? Gideon said. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The second way when we're tearing down strongholds is be honest about your unbelief because God isn't afraid of it. Did you know that? Do you know that, like, if you're doubting the goodness of God in your life, he's actually not afraid. If you maybe even in this place, or maybe you're watching online, and you're doubting the existence of God, do you know that he's not threatened by that? Do you, he's not wringing his hands thinking, maybe I'm not real. Maybe I don't exist. Man, if Justin's doubting me, maybe I should doubt myself. He, 
He, he is under no obligation. He is under no lunacy to think like, well, just because maybe I am doubting, I am wondering, then maybe he doesn't exist. So just be honest about your unbelief because he's not afraid of it. And this is kind of what Gideon's saying. He's like, you think I'm a mighty warrior? Like, I think you got the wrong guy. Have you seen my family? Have you seen the people that I got? I don't come from good stock. I don't come from money. I don't come from affluence. I don't come from all this holiness. My, I, I don't come, my dad wasn't a pastor. Like, I, I don't understand what, what you, you, you're picking the wrong person here. And I love that Gideon is just honest about his issues because every single one of us has them don't we? And they only become dysfunctional when we don't talk about them. Every single one of us has issues. All of our families have issues. Mm Mm-hmm. But think about it. They become dysfunctional when we don't talk about them. They become dysfunctional when we act like they're not there. They become dysfunctional when we think that they're normal or they're functional. That's when things become dysfunctional. Because when you allow strongholds, ways of thinking to take hold and to, you refuse to acknowledge them, you become practical atheists in that area of your life. You're still a Christian, but you just stop believing. You stop dreaming. You stop visioning your life outside of the abnormal normal that you live in. And you end up kind of tolerating whatever you think is, is normal. And so you think, well, nothing's ever going to change. This is just the way that it is. This is how men in my family handle conflict. This is how women in my family handle relationships. This is just how we handle money. This is just how things are. This is how husbands treat their wives in my family. This is what it means to be Irish, right? All of these ways of thinking, these abnormal normalities in our life that we tolerate but are not the normal of God. And some of these things can become strongholds that literally will cause us to not see beyond what is right in front of us. And I want to encourage you to stand up to the bully. As God starts pointing out those areas of abnormality in your life that he's like, I actually want to speak life over this area of your life that has just gone dead. And you just say, well, it is what it is and it will never change and it will always be the same and it's never going to be different. It's like, I want you to stand up to that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. What does it look like for Gideon to take a stand? The first thing he does in verse 25, it says, That same night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, one of the, the one seven years old, He says, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. For Gideon, taking a stand meant that he had to first tear down strongholds in his life. Paul said it this way. We, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, those arguments, those ways of thinking, those things that are like, well, this is just always the way that things are. Nothing's ever going to change. He says, we demolish those arguments and every pretension that would set itself up against the knowledge of God. God tells Gideon, 
the compromise ends tonight with you. I understand that this is kind of a generational thing. I understand that you've grown up this way. I understand that this is just, this is just how life has looked in your life. I understand that, that this addiction has always been normal to you. I'm just telling you that you have to come to a place where it ends today with you. You are going to be the one to tear down your father's altar to Baal. It wasn't even his. He didn't build it, but he's living in it. It followed him. It was kind of in his family. And God says, I want you to go and destroy it. I want you to demolish that thing that would rise up against me. You tear it down. You are going to demolish the ways of thinking that your family should have never allowed. Your compromise ends with you, Gideon. By tearing down the altars that his father had built, Gideon is essentially saying, this is not how my story is going to play out. I understand that this is the way that, that men have acted in my family, but that's not my story. And I would say this to you, this, I wrote this down, I just feel like it's a word for somebody in here today, that like you have been thinking about tearing down a stronghold in your life and God has been telling you to do something in the natural that signifies something in the spiritual, and it sounds really silly to you. You're like, what is that's not going to change anything. Not, why would I do that? Why would I get rid of this thing? Why would I, why would I do this? Why would I? I just want to encourage you to do it. You, you think that it sounds silly. You think that it like, what, what does this thing in the natural have to do with something in the spiritual? I'm just telling you that like, God is encouraging you to do that thing as an act of obedience to come into alignment in the natural to bring something in the spiritual. And he's saying, like, Gideon's saying, like, that's, that's not how my story is going to be written. So what stronghold is God calling you to tear down? What Asherah pole is God telling you to cut down? It doesn't end there. In verse 26, I'm going to leave this with you. He says this, then, after you've cut down the altar, after you've cut down the Asherah pole, he says, Build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this height. It's not enough for you to simply tear down strongholds. God says, now I want you to build something on top of where the stronghold used to be. I want you to put me back on top. I want you to build an altar to me on top of the sinful place that once plagued you. I want you to replace that stronghold that has kept you, that has defined your life, that has defined your identity, and I want you to put me back on top of that thing. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says, we take, every, every, take captive every thought. And we don't just take it captive. We don't just quarantine our thoughts and say, well, just stop thinking about it. He says, but make it obedient to Christ. So he says, we take captive every thought. Not only that, we make it obedient to Christ. We not just tear down the altar and cut down the pole, but we now build something back on top of it. We make it obedient to Christ in our life. Why don't you stand with me? I got this text this morning. Um, it's something in the natural that God just like spoke something to me prophetically that... <laughs> And I just, I just can't get away with it, get away from it. Um, 
it was an update on Ukraine. I had asked, uh, is there any bombing going on in Dnipro, where Pastor Sergei is ministering to refugees? And uh, Natasha re re replied this morning, and she just said, um, nothing right now. She said, um, like a day and a half ago, two days ago, there was um, rockets being shot to Dnipro. And um, she said that, that they were actually shot down in the air before they were ever, ever, able ever to, 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 to hit their target. And I thought, isn't that so awesome? And the Lord just said, this is what I'm talking about today. When we talk about strongholds, they're essentially these X marks, the spot targets in our life. And Satan has just been launching targets, launching rockets and hitting you dead on in an area of your life. And it's become a stronghold. You're just kind of vulnerable to it. And you kind of live in fear. You live in paralyzation, all those types of things. And God's saying today, when we tear down those strongholds, he's literally going to start actually shooting those rockets out of the air before they hit their own... Their they hit their target. It doesn't mean that, that you're not going to still get attacked. It doesn't mean that, they, that the enemy is still not going to, to, you know, be launching rockets over to hit you. It just means that God now has the ability to be able to shoot those things out of the air before they hit their target. That they have no power over you right now. And so I just want to proclaim that over you. Um, one of the things that um, in Judges chapter 6 verse 27, um, it says, so Gideon took Ten of his servants, this is how he responded to the word of the Lord. And he did just as the Lord had told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. He was scared. Just in the same way that he's threshing wheat in a wine press, scared. God says, I want you to go. I want you to destroy the altar of your father to Baal. I want you to cut down the Asher pole that your father put up. And he's like, okay, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it at night because I'm scared of my family. I'm scared of what my dad's going to say. Why did you marry you? I'm scared of what the townspeople are going to think. And maybe you're in that place. Like, have you ever been like, I just don't know what my friends are, if they're going to understand that I'm taking a stand. I, I'm scared that my family, what they're going to think of this newfound faith that I have. I'm scared of how my coworkers are going to accept the change that I'm making in my life. So, you know what he did? He just did it scared. <laughs> That's what I would encourage every single one of us. So many times we're waiting for fear to leave before we get the courage to do the right thing. And I wonder if maybe we just do what Gideon did and we just choose to do it scared realizing that courage is not the absence of fear. It's just deciding that fear is not going to be a bully over my life anymore. I'm unwilling to, to walk in paralyzation, feeling overwhelmed, unwilling to move forward, unwilling to make a decision, unwilling to make a change, unwilling to tear down a, a, an altar, un, unwilling to, to tear down a stronghold, unwilling to identify this thing and say it stops with, with me today. It goes no further in my family. It stops here. You are no longer going to bully me and steal my lunch. And it's not going to affect my children. 
And I wonder if maybe we learn something from Gideon where he just decides, I'm still scared. I'm just going to do it scared. I'm going to do it scared. And maybe you're here today and you're like, um, you're in a place where the, the bully of your soul has been stealing your lunch for far too long. And, and the things that you've run to for safety have ended up imprisoning you. The thing that you went to to numb the pain has actually formed prison bars around you. Here's what I'll encourage you in this. Make Jesus your stronghold. You're like, what are you talking about? Psalm 18, verse 2 says this. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. We don't just tear down strongholds. We make Jesus our stronghold. He's the one that we run to. He is our refuge. He is our deliverer. He is the fortress that we can find safety in. We don't need to run to those things that have, that, that have become coping mechanisms to kind of numb the pain or escape that thing. We can actually run to him for it. He says, make me your stronghold. I am your salvation. I am your rock. I am your refuge. That thing that you've, been, that you've been running to, thinking that it's going to give you freedom, has actually imprisoned you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So, Lord, as we, as we worship you today, I pray, what, what is it that you're speaking to us about? What, am I, what, what is it that you're speaking to me about today? Lord, I pray that you would shine your light on that area of life that I've just assumed is normal. And I have tolerated it. And I know that I know that I know that you're wanting to tear it down. And so Jesus, we identify it today. I pray that you'd point your, your light in that area of your life, not for shame or guilt or condemnation, but for freedom's sake. It is for freedom that we have been set free. And so, Lord, I just proclaim freedom in this place today. As we worship you today, I proclaim freedom over every single one of us. Lord God, that, that we would just realize that our bully is not that big and our daddy is huge. God, I thank you that, that you have created us to be free people. You've created us to not just be free, but to walk in freedom. And those areas of bondage that we have continued to walk in. Lord, I pray that the chains would fall off. I can hear chains falling in Jesus' name. I proclaim freedom over those areas of our lives, that those addictions, those dysfunctions, those areas that we've just decided, you know what, it's never going to get any better, and I can't even talk to anybody about it, because if I do, I'm just going to be disappointed. And I just have to accept the fact that this is going to be my lot in life. I'm always going to be this way, and it's never going to change. Lord Jesus, I pray in in Jesus' name, that we proclaim freedom in those areas of our life. That those things that, that, would, that would be held back in the heavenlies and that our great bully of our soul, Satan, is, is holding bound would be free in Jesus' name. You have no legal rights to hold on to those things anymore. And so, Jesus, we proclaim freedom in this place. And Lord, I pray that as we worship, 
whether we get down here, I would encourage you, maybe you get alone, come up here, but, you know, up here by yourself and just say, Jesus, I, I, just, I just receive that in Jesus' name. You are my big dad. And Lord, I thank you that you see your potential in me when I'm in you. And so, Lord Jesus, have your way in us today as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.